Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Maxim Allen. Uh, What day is it today? It's October 3rd. On October 3rd, he asked me what day it was. Uh, You know, okay. But today... (laughs) (laughs) This is the show where I interview people about their creative passions. And today I have one of my good comedy friends on the show. He's been killing it during quarantine with the comedy. And I want to welcome to the show Trevor Glassman. You are the ultimate hype man, and I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to hype you up. Be like, this next guy is the funniest person you've heard in your life. And if you're disappointed at the end of the 90 minutes, that's not on me. No, you don't want to truth bomb your viewers. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Oh, my God. So uh, you're a comedian as well, and uh, the the big thing you've been doing during quarantine is uh, something called curbside comedy, and we will dig into that in the latter half of the episode. But for now, uh, let's start with some just basic intro knowledge. So you are yeah. tr- a person named Trevor Glassman. Trevor Glassman is my name. <laughs> That's what I've been called since day one. <laughs> day one, day one, sticking to it. Uh, where are you from? I'm from Bedford, New Hampshire, so a little small town up in the Northeast. About 22,000 people, and I got out of there to come do comedy here, so that's always great. That's what's up. That's what I like to hear. We love the people leaving their tiny towns for the big city (laughs) life. (laughs) Honestly, I needed it. It was so boring. All we had to do was watch leaves change cover and play basketball, and that was it. Or illegal activities, too, which I didn't take part in, (laughs) in case there's any cops listening. (laughs) Okay, so uh, you you are a comedian. When did you start doing comedy? Started doing comedy. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's a cat on my leg, and he's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very ticklish. Uh, I'm <laughs> not as manly as I appear as soon as I'm startled. Um, <laughs> I started doing comedy. The first time I ever like made... I mean, doing stand-up, the first time I did stand-up was in 2017. Okay. Um, But I started making comedy videos and, like, jokes. And I did a a roast battle on, on, uh, like, if I was on the roast battle for, who was the, Justin Bieber. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did did a a video basically making fun of everybody that was on the roast. Like, if I was on the roast in 2014. Okay. And it's the worst video ever created and I hope it dies and burns and I'm sure it's somewhere on the internet. But it's <laughs> awful and but I made it and I had so much fun doing it and writing jokes was awesome and then 3 years later moved up to Chicago when I graduated and started doing stand up and writing up there and went to New York and mm-hmm. then now New Hampshire, so. So were you always kind of into comedy? Always. I loved it. Like uh, the first comedian I ever saw was Cat Williams oh, well. at a friend's house. Yeah, and I <laughs> loved Cat Williams. But this was the problem. The problem was I truly thought that this was literally just some funny dude off the street that they pulled and was like, you know what? You're hilarious. Why don't you do an hour of being funny on TV? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious. I didn't realize you could like work on it and it could be like a career if you're if you're really good at it. So I see this dude just running around screaming, Oh, what are we talking about here? And I'm like, this is so funny. Like I wanna I may want to <laughs> do this later. And then I saw Jimmy Fallon hosts a talk show, and I really more gravitated toward having a talk show because I thought I was more, like, my personality is more funny than my actual wit. Yeah. So I kind of like that stuff, and I just always was the kind of a class clown, like, popping jokes and making fun of the teachers and mm-hmm. doing things you're not supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be getting an education. Yeah. And, <laughs> you can tell why I am the way I am, but... um. 
but yeah, so I just think after, uh, after I was in college, I really thought about actually making a career out of it. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where it happened. So I've always had an interest. I, it, I just didn't really realize it was a career until like the, my last year of school, which is great. Really? Good timing. Yeah. So what was the thing that pushed you over the edge to start comedy? So I did real, this is a good question, actually. So I did real estate. You're, you're, all your questions are good, by the way. I just Thank like you. This one. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> no one's ever really asked me that before. That's why I said it was good. Um, I did real estate in New York City the summer before I was going to graduate. So okay. the summer before senior year, I did real estate in New York City. And it was it was fun, but it was a lot of work. I was working like 60 hours a week. And I was still playing basketball in college, so I had mm-hmm. to stay in shape and do homework. So yeah. I was nonstop, like, I was basically just a rat in the, what is it called? The spinning wheel? The hamster in the oh, spinning wheel. The, if you have a rat running in a spinning wheel, get a new pet. It's a hamster wheel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't live at Petco, but. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do. I am really showing my stupidity on this, and I love it. Um, no, but I, I was doing that for a while, and I realized, you know, Real life is hard work and working for somebody I feel like I would I would do I would be a lot happier and I I could have success on my own terms if I worked doing something that I wanted to do for yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. And I never have a problem working for somebody. It's just I have a problem doing stuff that I don't want to do because if I can't get behind it, I can't give it my best effort. And I thought mm-hmm. comedy was something that I really I always loved it. And I was like, well, if I really want to, you know, do that, I need to look into what it takes to actually become, yeah, you know, somebody in comedy and, and having a career that way. And, you know, everybody's, everybody's got their, their opinions on it of, you know, it can be a hobby. It can be something that you do you know, part-time, but I really wanted it to be my thing. Like I make jokes all the time and that's all I really like to do in this yeah. world to be quite <laughs> honest. So I'm like, I got to figure out a way to make this work for me. So, yeah. yeah. So you, you're doing real estate in New York City. You kind of have this realization that it's like, oh, shit, I don't want to work for people. I want to do something I love. So what was the what was the thing that sparked, like, I want to do comedy? How did you learn about open mics? How did you decide, I want to get up? So I, <laughs> this is, my French teacher in middle school was Madame Myers, who has a son named Seth, and he's pretty good at comedy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just kind of got in touch with her because one of my best friend's mom golfs with her all okay. the time. So I was like, can I talk to her and maybe she can give me some insight because I don't really even know where to start, to be quite honest. Yeah. And she ended up sending me this like four-page email basically saying what Seth did. And Seth moved up to Chicago and just got involved in a space where there were other comedians and like-minded people around him. Yeah. So I just thought to myself, maybe I should explore Chicago. My senior year, I went up to Chicago and I went to Second City to check things out, see what kind of scene it was. Yeah. I went to an open mic, but I didn't perform. I just kind of watched and and saw it. And I was like, okay, I feel like I should move here. Um, Otherwise, I was going to probably move to New York and try to do it here right away. And I think... I'm glad I didn't do that, but also uh, I just love Chicago so much, and I think it, yeah. was a, it was a really great experience for me to to learn comedy up there. And, and we're still obviously we're still learning, but and you're always learning. But up there, they really take it seriously, mm-hmm. and, and it was a great environment for me to be in. So you did it there for about a year and a half. It was two years. Two yeah. years. Okay. Yep. Exactly two years. What? Uh, so. What okay, so after two years you moved to New York City, what was the decider there? Were you just like it's time for me to check out like 
the the place for comedy or yeah to be quite honest i love i love chicago and i mm-hmm. would have stayed longer i just had a rent stabilization deal that i couldn't turn down so gotcha. i had an apartment <laughs> in my family and they were like it's either gonna go or you can take it and you want to be here anyway so i moved simply because of that wow um, and yeah i mean <laughs> i would have stayed in probably chicago for another three or four years mm-hmm. and, then, and then came down here got more stage time and, and learned more because they really there's a lot of opportunities that out there to learn like you can perform pretty much anywhere you can think of comedy yeah. clubs jail school like literally <laughs> i'm not joking like all these different places and it would have been cool to to get my feet in some of that up there but it's all worked out so far so nice yeah so what when you first started kind of actually hitting the mics and doing stuff in chicago what was your first like what was your first material like <laughs> Dude, it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> all of us, all of us. I, I don't think I've ever, we've ever talked about this. The first time I actually went to an open mic was at this place called, oh, I can't remember it. I know it's on Clyde, Clydebourne Avenue. And it, it, was, it was called the Soapbox Mic. So okay. they didn't have a microphone. You literally stand up on a, on a soapbox yeah. and you tell the bar your jokes. What I did, (laughs) dude, it gets so much worse. What I did is I wrote a monologue out of like how taxes in the city are absurd. (laughs) The problem was I used one joke about a a real tax that exists. And then I went completely, I don't even know what to call it. I just made up taxes and then made up jokes around taxes that didn't exist. And then started talking about how alcohol destroys everybody to a bar full of alcoholics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm on a soap bike, uh, so a soapbox, no mic, just spewing out nonsense. And after f- like five straight minutes, not one person laughed. I go, well, uh, my name is Hiroshima, and I just bombed. And I walked off, and that was the one laugh that I got. <laughs> and I sat there, and I was like, should I keep doing this? Uh, probably not, but I'm gonna. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, it's yeah. And then I realized that oh, you have to actually write jokes about things mm-hmm. that you believe in, not just sit around in your apartment from your board and uh, when you're boredom and you know make up taxes yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think uh i my first set was like i was just gonna ask i don't know if i could ask you questions am i allowed you can ask me questions just kidding this is a show where there's a (laughs) there's a piece of glass between us and no one will ever get to know me (laughs) (laughs) take down the wall (laughs) i want to know you (laughs) no uh yeah so my first set i um I, I in Boulder, Colorado. I went to two open mics and like watched for one week. There were there was two mics going on, and I watched two of them. And then I was like, okay, next week, choice. I'm gonna like get material and like do this. So I wrote out a bunch of jokes that were like kind of like why who I am, why I wanted to do comedy, and like some stuff that I was like just random like Tinder dating shit, you know. And uh, it was definitely like a big script but it was like i at least had like joke like discrete joke sections and it got like it went okay like i went there and i told jokes i got a couple chuckles here and there but uh it wasn't terrible it wasn't amazing and it was like okay this is fine and then i didn't actually get like another like i didn't actually get like a real laugh until i was 10 sets in and on the 10th set it was like every time i go to a mic I would go to the hookah bar beforehand and sit there for like two hours and just try to write new jokes and figure something out. It's like, I got to make new jokes on stage. I got to figure this out. And 
on my 10th set, no laughs for the entire set. And there was an audience member, this kid who kept every time someone would tell a joke and it didn't get a laugh, he would go, okay, okay. And it was so condescending. And it was just like, <laughs> I got so sick of it. I just ended up roasting him about it. I was like, your fucking teachers must love you. Like <laughs> anytime they got something to do, like a test to hand back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I just like, I forgot the exact riff, but I riffed on that. It was like a, like two minutes of me riffing on this guy and the whole room was like dying. And I got off stage and another comedian like actually was like, good set, man. And I was like, Oh, I can do this. I can do it. That was good, wasn't it? (laughs) It just takes like, and even now I'm like, I am like, like a little more than two years in and I'm so much better than when I started. Like even like after just the second year, I'm so much better than I was in the first year, but I'm still like, Oh, I suck at this. I was going to ask you. So in your, with your open mics, did actual people come like like Boulder comics? Yeah. Yeah. There That's was, awesome. There was like, and that that was a hard thing about coming to New York City. Oh yeah, because like back in in Denver, people just love comedy, and if you are doing like a small show at like a brewery or something, you're gonna have thirty plus audience members. If you're even doing an open mic, like um, the one I'm gonna shout out is Vision Quest on Thursdays in Boulder with Anthony Bartolo. Love him. Love the mic. It's where I started, but it's like this cute little like psychedelic themed brewery. And there'd be nights where it was like, like almost all comedians and like four or five audience members. And then there was also like a couple nights where there was straight up like 50 people in there. And it was like, it was so cool. But also when I got to New York City, I was like, oh, that was kind of like easy mode. I'm glad I started there because if I had started in New York City, my self-esteem would just be crushed immediately because it's so much harder to just perform for just comedians until you get the chance yeah. to like perform in front of a real person. It's also so much different. And yeah. I was going to say in Chicago, if I could have done it differently, and maybe there's one person that hears this and, and is about to start comedy or thinking about it, I wouldn't have watched an open mic first because obviously, as you know, open mic comedy is so much different than like when mm-hmm. you get paid and, and start making it a thing. I would have gone to a club and seen what type of jokes these actual paid mm-hmm. comedians were doing. And then I would have tried to kind of figure out my own way to do that. But I didn't know that. That's, that was just me now learning, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But that was something that <laughs> that was something that I just... Like when I started, when I started going to the comedy clubs and watching these comedians, I was yeah. like, "Oh, I've been doing this wrong." And it's like, there's no, <laughs> there's no like right or wrong way to do it. But it was just like for me, I was like, "Okay, what I'm doing for me is wrong. Yeah. I need to be figuring out my way to to kind of show myself on stage." And I think in Chicago, that was one of the things I miss is they were super supportive. You could go into any comedy club and watch for free if you just told the people at the door you were a comedian. Yeah. And they'd let you hang in the back and you can meet comics afterwards and talk with them. And I don't really see that as much here, but I also haven't really gone to as much. So maybe I'm just yeah. blowing smoke. I don't know. I think uh, I think um, one thing that in New York City comedy is like I think that there's such distinct tiers of comedian. And like, if you're like, I, I use this term endearingly, but I, I call myself a dog shit open micer and I call everyone (laughs) at my level a dog shit open micer. Cause it's like, you do open mics, 
you get booked on some smaller independent shows here and there, but it's not like you're passed at a club or anything. But then the people who are like the next tier up is like everyone wants you on independent shows. You're passed at maybe a club or two. And there's people who are just like passed at everything that are like credited super high up, you know? Yep. And before it's like, as like a dog shit open micer, I would, you don't really cross paths with many like credited people. Cause you're just doing your circuit of mics and like smaller shows and stuff. So you don't really meet them because those people are hanging out at clubs with their other higher up comedian friends. Yep. But during quarantine now, cause we all have like this outdoor comedy thing and the clubs are shut down. The people who are like really on the high end of the spectrum are like also amongst the rest of us, the other end. And so it's kind of neat. Cause I've actually met some like really good people and like, it's cool. It's cool yeah. to see. And I don't even know if I want to say tiers, right? I think there's just different types of comics. Like, yeah. Like some people only do independent shows. Some mm-hmm. people do independent clubs and all that. But like some of these, some of these uh, different types of acts or performances, like they don't, tra- they don't always translate. Right. So I think if I feel like tiers is like, you know, when you're, when you're at the bottom, the, everything looks like a tier. You're like, okay, yeah. how can I work your way <laughs> up? But I think, when, you know, as you've seen, when you, when you get better and you keep going, you start seeing, like, there's just different types of comedy all over yeah. the place. Like, what is yours? Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing. Here, like, I think the idea of tiers is, like, the way I said, it's, like, kind of flawed. Like, obviously, it's more of, like, a gradient, and it kind of goes everywhere. And one thing I love about comedy here is there's a million ways to make it in your own definition. Yep. And that's what's important. It's like, you don't have this gatekeeping or like, sorry, you only have one credit. You have no credits. You're in this, 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 <laughs> you get to perform in this room. It's like, it's just, Oh, you can make something for yourself. You can make a name for yourself in your own way. You can do whatever you want. You can put a show together. You can get put on other people's shows. You can do like sketch. You can do like musical comedy, whatever you want to do. It's just, it's so open. Yeah, it's just those cities that you get opportunities to to get opportunities from others, but also make some for yourself, get the best of both worlds. Like there's there's nothing like it because you can't. Mm-hmm. How can you fail like that? It's right. only it's on you, pretty much. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. unless you have like ridiculous expectations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix special year one, you might be a failure, but year ten, year five, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what? Let's see. Um, and Amazon and Hulu. I don't want to cancel. You know, I don't want them to not take me just because I didn't shout them out on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, why? Um, so we talked about finding your voice in comedy. So you're about you're like a little over three years in, now, right? I'm about three. Yeah, just under. So what has been your experience with finding your voice and like honing your material to you? Yeah, I'm still getting there. Yeah, and I think I. I'm I, even when I have really good sets, I'm still frustrated because I feel like, oh, this just isn't me yet. Yeah. But I feel like I feel I feel excited because even after bad sets or good sets, like every time I do something and I watch the tape back, I'm like, oh, I can learn something from this. And eventually, right. you know, everyone's going to have their path. And I don't know my timetable, but I know if I stick with it, eventually I'll get there. I think what I'm going for right now is just kind of like a really punchy jokes that are that have a giant twist on them and they're definitely on the dark side of the darker side of things yeah <laughs> as you've seen but i almost like a shock value in, in, in a way that's not overly offensive you know right right um cuz i think i want to offer something different and some surprise and i want to go places that other people are maybe scared to go mm-hmm. but i think 
as I go, as I develop and, and more of my sense of humor comes out, I think I want to be more active. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm kind of a spaz and a moron and I want to eventually, <laughs> I want to eventually get that out and show people like, Hey, you know, just because I'm a straight white guy who's fairly good looking and no, I'm not bragging on this podcast by any means. <laughs> I'm anemic. So my skin, <laughs> my skin is because of that. But, um, I, I want to show like, Hey, there's this giant personality that I have that people wouldn't necessarily guess by just w- watching me walk on stage. So. Yeah. But yeah, I'm very far from that. So yeah, <laughs> I feel that too. I feel I feel very much the same. And I, yeah. I mean, one day I'd love to see your face in a flyer, and your credit is <laughs> spaz and moron. <laughs> That'll just be my bio: spaz, spastic moron, ADHD comedy. <laughs> I had a, uh, I had like a kind was of was that a fake laugh because you just shut it down <laughs> immediately. You're like, that was kind of funny, but wait, I have a point. I have a point. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's a good description. I feel like I feel like that's something that a lot of I think everyone goes through it is making your true personality shine. And yeah. some people are like very like deadpan and like naturally and when they do those like high like intense punchline twist jokes, it just fits cuz you're like this syncs up really well to their personality. But like yeah. when you see someone who you can tell is more high energy, you kind of want a little bit more of that in the material. Yep. Uh, and obviously you know me like you know me as a person you could probably you probably you know think that i'm funnier off stage than i am on at this point in time but (laughs) i think uh no it's okay i know myself Uh, (laughs) um but i i think the if people don't know you Mm -hmm. it's hard to make jokes it's hard to make jokes that you want to make if they don't know you. And right. in these five to 10 minute spots that most of us get here, even like 15, like in 15, they start to get to know you. But until then, it's just about being, I feel like, as funny as you can. Mm-hmm. So I go for a little bit more technical approach of like, okay, I'll just I'll just bash them with jokes until they think I'm hilarious and then I'll be done. <laughs> and maybe one day they'll know me where I can start showing actual parts of my yeah. personality. That but, makes sense. Yeah. But everyone has their thing and some people are just, some people have it easier than others where it's just like, oh, they, they're just showing themselves and you kind of get it and you're on board. And I just feel like I haven't got that yet. So I'm working towards it. Right. That makes sense. That's yeah. kind of where I'm at as well. I had a, I had like a breakthrough moment like a month ago. I love that. I love hearing that. Like, <laughs> you'll probably have a billion throughout your career, but like, I love, am I allowed to say career on this? Yeah. I know. It's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, just breakthrough like oh i finally realized something mm-hmm. tell me <laughs> yeah so i uh we had our, our roommate situation i was telling you about before the show but for the listeners i was in a kind of a toxic situation for about a month and i got out of it where it's all good now but um i was Do you have, hope he's listening no all right no whatever could be she too just to it's throw a, everybody off yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay never mind cover blown but uh i was i was having just like such a rough week and uh someone booked me on a show in Astoria, and i was super stoked they're great dudes it's a such a fun show it's amazing and i'm having just like a super shitty week and i'm looking forward to this show all week and i'm like all right i can just get to the show it'll be great i'll do all the best jokes i've been working on for the last couple month, months months and I do my set, but I didn't, I know I didn't do well because I didn't check in with the audience. I didn't like get like, like talk to them and kind of get, give them a little read on me. So I just went right into material and 
it, it was like 10 minutes and I didn't bomb. I got some laughs, but my premises and like that I have are like, once again, if you don't know kind of my personality more, it's like, what, where's this, what is going on? And I left the show like, and like some of the comedians were like, oh, that was really funny. You had a great set. But I'm like, I know I didn't do great. Like I knew it as it was happening. I was like, I haven't checked in. Yeah. That's why this is weird. So I just kind of powered through, finished up, tried to keep it fun. And I go home and we're doing our Friday mic on our rooftop at that time. And I got home and it was still going on. So I go up to the roof and I get put on last because I just like showed up. And um, I go up on stage and I'm just like fucking ranting about like my frustrations and like all the shit I'm going through. Like I'm like, I spent all week <laughs> looking forward to this show because I've been dealing with this fucking bullshit and like all this like emotional fucking nonsense. And they they have me take pictures at the show I'm at and I go to the show and I bomb and because I'm taking photos, there's no photos of me. So it's like I wasn't even there. And just like <laughs> just like getting into it. And I just like talked about a, a bunch of other stuff that I was feeling at the time. And it just like I killed this rooftop. Like and everyone after was like, that's the best set you've ever done. And I was like, did you record oh, it? No, <laughs> of course. It, it always works like that. <laughs> it was it was one of those moments where I knew it. I was like, should I record it before I go on stage? And I was like, no, it th- I was like, this moment is not right. Like I thought about it and I was like, like afterward, I was like, that was a moment where my future comedian like shined through into the present. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm working towards is getting this like this personal and this like this like dramatic and fun and like bringing out myself in it so for the last month like i've written some jokes here and there but for the most part i'm trying to like riff like a lot and just see where it takes me and talk about what i'm feeling or what i'm going through and just make it work i'm like i go to mics now and i tell myself if i'm not anxious about it then i'm not doing it right like i don't i want to go up on stage and be like okay i'm going to do this thing i've never talked about i'm just going to see where it takes me so it's been it's good it's been working out. It's been a good good month or two for that. That's awesome. And I think that's cool because even in, even in those breakthrough moments, you kind of just get it and you're like, "Oh, going forward, like it's almost like you took a step now." Yeah. Right? You're on this you're on your road. Everybody's got their road. Right. But you figure things out along the way. Like mm-hmm. I used to just jump into my jokes too and then and then one day I watched myself after one of my one of my horrible sets and I was like, if I was watching somebody just come up and get like just do a joke without like establishing what's going on, I'd be like, "Are you a robot? Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing up there? Are you are you functioning right?" And then yeah. I sort of, sort of started thinking like, "Oh wait, maybe I need to be a person, yeah, and uh, acknowledge things that are right in front of me, mm-hmm. and then we can get into it." I feel like the audience has to feel like when you're up there. They have to feel like everything's good. Yeah. And they have to feel they have to feel excited and and have confidence right. that you're gonna be funny. And I think if you can establish that without even even if you want to build it into a joke, but I think up top the most important thing, some people have their opinion of like, oh, you gotta have like a fire joke right away and get it out. I think if you can show you're funny and show that like, hey, we're here to laugh mm-hmm. and they like you, yeah, you're money. I think that's the way to go. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think I always said, like, to people, like, especially newer comics, is, like, when you walk on the stage in front of a crowd, what it doesn't matter what you're insecure about or what you're feeling, like, you walk up there, the audience wants to like you. They want to laugh. They 100%. hope that you have a great especially performance. Especially if they're paying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, to- they totally want to like you. 
also that what I just said applies to to open mics that are not only comedians. If actual yeah. people come and comedians are never gonna like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until you hang with them after. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so in yeah. your uh in your first three years of comedy, like do you have any triumph moments that stand out to you? Any like big breakthroughs or anything like that? I had in Chicago, I I went up and just I just had an idea on stage about how I thought it was kind of ridiculous that skydivers will wear helmets. Yeah. And I was like, what's, I mean, if you fall off a bike, like you have a chance, right? Yeah. (laughs) If you're falling from the sky, like that helmet's going with you. So what's the point? Just enjoy the fall. And uh, hopefully someone (laughs) takes pictures of the splat. And everybody thought it was like kind of shocking because I was like the splat, like, whoa, he's dead. But they thought it was funny because it's like, yeah, why do skydivers wear helmets? Mm-hmm. And I hit myself on top of the head with a mic while I was saying like the splat. Yeah. And it was just so it was just like such something that I would do in my free time. Like, oh, this is so dumb. Let me just hit myself in yeah. the head. Like, oh. Uh. And it I didn't write it. And I just kind of did it. And ev- that was like the hardest anyone's really laughed at like something that I've done up until that point. And yeah. it was like a year in. But then I just realized, oh, like. I don't have to write out these jokes on paper. Like I can play around and there's so many other, there's so many other things to stand up that can be used that don't, that aren't involving just your mouth, mm-hmm. your face, yeah. your, your antics, the mic stand itself, the stool, like the, sometimes even the environment you're in, like all these different things. And I realize, Oh, this is a performance, right? There's so many other aspects than just my jokes. The jokes are the baseline and the foundation, but I think, I think re- really utilizing those tools can can set you apart. And I think from there, I've always tried to incorporate different things that I truly thought were funny right. outside of what other comedians have done. So I don't really watch that much comedy. And I mm-hmm. think when I realized that, it was like, oh, I want to just stay as true to myself as possible yeah. and try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. That was a breakthrough moment I had. And then another breakthrough I had was uh, actually doing curbside comedy, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about later. Uh, we were in a we did a show outside a nursing home mm-hmm. and I can't do my set in front of a nursing home. Yeah. Like the jokes that I have, like they're about death. They're about like disease. Like they're just about certain things that would fly at a comedy club and would be pre- really funny there. But I realized like, Oh, not every set and not every show is the comedy club. Right. Right. So I felt like, Oh, maybe I have to tailor what I'm doing depending mm-hmm. on the environment. And I think that was more of a breakthrough than anything else because it's like, okay, I want to work on my jokes and I want to have this thing, this like product of my jokes be, be recognizable to me. But I also have to understand like until they realize who I am and this is what I do, it's not going to fly. Right. I can't go out to a nursing home and make a dead Alzheimer's joke about my grandpa. It's just not going to work. <laughs> it's just not and it's hilarious and it's a very well-written joke and at a comedy club when people are paying and drinking and they don't care what what happens yeah that's gonna go well but at a children's birthday party you can't talk about how your grandma died (laughs) 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 like uh, i've done some of those so it's been uh just these breakthrough moments i think we're always striving for and i think when they happen it kind of sets the tone for that next that next time period going forward. So mm-hmm. really only had those two. Okay. Yeah. So have you been like writing new material that's not quite as edgy for situational use? Yes and no. What I've been doing is I've been writing 
in a way that I can. My sense of humor naturally when I'm writing jokes is darker. When mm-hmm. it's just my personality, it's absurd and over dramatic. And I'm trying to mix both of those things in, but I also am trying to think of premises that I can have a cleaner punchline that's not as not as yeah. dark. So I can make a switch whether I'm at a, you know, a, a birthday party, a bar, mm. a club. Um but yeah, I think uh I, I'm still trying to stay true to me, but when right. when those things come up, uh I gotta fix them. We're doing an we're doing a uh an elderly show in in like two weeks and I gotta I gotta make some changes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I think it's smart though. I think at at the core of it though is like when you write jokes, your sense of humor is gonna come through no matter what. It's just so if you're if you have these like dark twist jokes, all you gotta do is take the structure that you enjoy that like you shine through and just like adapt it to a better situation. Exactly. And everyone has their type of humor. Yeah. It's just mine tends to be darker. Yeah. So I have to even make more adjustments when I'm going into these different places. <laughs> so yeah. That's but a, yeah, some people are ready experience. for it. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, yeah. You're um our friend Connor who you do these shows with. Um I think it's funny. Uh our Lee, she one of our comedian friends, she goes, um, she did a show at a bar and it was a it was like a, a variety show. It was all women and it was all like middle aged and older women. And so a lot of them were playing music, like and they were just playing music and doing like spoken word poetry and stuff. And like, oh, we've got a comedian. And you know Lee's material. She went yeah. up there. <laughs> she bombed so hard. The host came up and took the mic out of her hand. And was like, that's it. That's our, that's our performer for the night. And she was like, she was like, oh my God, that was the worst. She's like, I don't know if I can perform in front of old white people. And she goes, they would love Connor. <laughs> they would love Connor. They would. All, all the old women love Connor. They want to marry them. Marry yeah. him, I think. <laughs> no, that's but that's interesting. Like like Lee Lee does this show in front of these type of people and it doesn't go as well as she plans, right? Mm-hmm. But that material in front of a different audience can go spectacular. Right. So it's just kind of like gauging and figuring out your own your own thing yeah. but yeah connor's sense of humor is completely opposite of mine yeah. so the good thing that i like about when we do shows together is he if they're gonna hate me they're gonna love him and if they're not yeah. gonna love him they're gonna love me yeah so it's a good contrast yeah it's a nice contrast so and for context the person who went up after after lee at this show was uh two older women probably like early 60s one's playing keyboard and one's playing guitar and singing and the song is about watching her son grow up and move on into the world. And like, it was like this super, like, emotional, deep, like, that is horrible. It was like, <laughs> that sounds so like, what do I even do? What yeah, do I do now. <laughs> I was, I was just totally like struck by this because it was like, here's a person's perspective I've never heard in this like art form. Like, who writes songs about their kids growing up and moving on and like missing them and stuff? And it was so moving. And I was like, I can't believe you just bombed in front of these people. <laughs> Dude, that is so. I, I, I would go up to that person and be like, hey, if you ever need somebody to just hang out with, yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. But are you good? Like, <laughs> Yeah, right. You can yeah. cook food for me. I'll yeah. chill for an hour sure. or two. Whatever. 
<laughs> I'll be your kid for a day or a week if you're paying for all of it. <laughs> I will be your son. Me, you can go to these uh, elderly shows and be like, I'll be your kid. Like, <laughs> nah. <laughs> if you laugh at my set, I'll, I'll be around. <laughs> nah, no old people. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Just kidding. Start the show with that. Just so you yeah. guys know, uh, no old people. I'm good. But here's my jokes. <laughs> I'll just uh, yell out B85, and they'll think it's a bingo game, and then I'll be like, All right, you guys want to hear my death jokes now? They're like, No, this game just started. <laughs> I'm only one square in. <laughs> what was that? Like that actually happened? That didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's get into uh, this curbside thing. So you and Connor were both living in New York, um, and coronavirus happened, and you fled the city like cowards. But you made something great out of it. So what 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 have you been up to? What is this curbside comedy thing? Yeah, so I just want to preface, uh, some would call it cowardly, some would call it genius. And <laughs> I saw an opportunity and seized it. Uh, my dad's couch. <laughs> no. Uh, sorry, I had to get the water. It's in. all good. Is that going to pick up? I hope not. It will. It's fine. Okay. I'm hydrated. That's all they need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, curbside comedy has been, it's been... It's gone further than we thought it was going to. We didn't even think it was going to be anything. Connor called me when we got home and probably like a month in and mm-hmm. was like, I, I can't not perform. I need to perform. I don't mm-hmm. know how, but I need to. And with all these social distancing things, we could, we could have an outdoor show on my porch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that actually sounds awesome. And we want to do that. So his mom who, by the way, we joke about saying that she's our manager because she does so much. It's absurd. She's come to so many shows. She's organized shows. She's like told people about us at her work and, and she's just been so awesome. She puts together this small, at the time you could only have 10 people in a social gathering. She gets like all of her work friends to come social distance, wear masks on the lawn mm-hmm. and their porch maxim is set up like, it's legit a stage. They yeah, have a yeah. stage as a porch, and yeah. it's sick. I'm, like, so jealous of it. <laughs> and we set up this show, and we do it, and it was pretty okay mm-hmm. at the very best. It was okay. We were really rusty. We hadn't performed in a couple months. And we just kind of sat down, like, okay, wait, this worked, though. Like, even though we weren't that – even though it wasn't the best show, like, it worked. Yeah. Like, we could still do these types of things. Yeah. And my dad is a doctor, and he's on the New Hampshire Medical Society board, and they were basically this this organization that worked with the state government to sort of figure out guidelines yeah. of what would be safe. So after we did that show and and talked with my dad about you know the social distancing and the safetyness of it, we sat down with him again and it was like, okay, if we want to go to other people's backyards and do shows for them, since they probably don't want to leave or go anywhere. How would that work? And he's like, well, it would pretty much be the same thing. Like, you can't have more than 10 people. You have masks on and you have your chairs six feet apart. And then you wipe down everything with Clorox wipes and you guys wear your mask. And at first we were wearing our mask all the time and we would take it off for our performance. But then we would put it back on always. And then the guidelines started to change. So we kind of had to monitor them. Mm -hmm. But we figured out like, oh. People want to be entertained in New Hampshire because there's not really anything to do, like I said at the beginning. And we figured out this way of, oh, we have portable equipment. We have our comedy. We just have to kind of figure out if the people want a show and we can bring our show to them. Yeah. So we did that. It developed 
we got some press and we we really thought we were the only people to be performing during quarantine so we just like we just kind of harped on that whether it was true or not we didn't care but it was like <laughs> we didn't see anything else so yeah and then we got some press from it in local newspapers and we started having people reach out to us saying oh we want a show we want a show we mm-hmm. want a show and now we're like almost 50 shows in and it's been it's been it's starting on a porch we just wanted to perform and now it's developed into something where it's like oh we found a little little nugget here that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. And you guys also, uh, you partner with a charity, right? We did. I, w- I wasn't going to bring money in uh, for IRS reasons. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've been using a shell corporation <laughs> to launder our funds and pretend it's a charity. <laughs> Turns out the charity is Trevor Glassman Organizations. No. Um, <laughs> no, we partnered with two charities at the start. Partner with Direct Relief, which yeah. is a organization and organization, sorry, English teachers, an organization basically designed to give supplies and equipment to frontline workers that yeah, were combating yeah. the coronavirus. And Comedy Gives Back, which is a an organization for comedians that lost gigs due to the pandemic and had some income troubles but also gives them mental health resources, which mm. we thought was super important during this time. Like yeah. part of the reason that we wanted to perform so bad was because we were literally going crazy. Like yeah. so many things. I got in a fist fight with my brother. I I broke things in my house just from pure frustration. It was pretty bad, but we love each other. So it's all good. Um, but I think everyone was losing their minds at the beginning. <laughs> and uh, dude, he's okay. And he punched me back and his hurt more than mine. So whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't do that joke at the old person's place. Don't worry. But we basically just got with those charities and, and decided we want to give back. We want to be able to, if we're going to perform and, and we're, you know, essentially we're taking a risk, even though we were really safe and we, we, we monitored it out of how we can do this in the smart way. It's still technically a risk, right? Yeah. And it's a two way risk. It's our risk as comedians to put on the show and it's risk for the audience members to participate and be there. And we're like, okay, if, we have this this small risk out of all this planning that we've done. We need to at least impact an organization or something that's bigger than ourselves so that it almost can fly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they're risking it, but they're doing it for a good cause, and we want everyone to get better. So we decided on brand with Comedy Gives Back. We're comedians. We were struggling. There's other comedians that are struggling. We want to make sure we can help them. Mm-hmm. And the coronavirus was really bad at the beginning of all this. So how can we help? Well, we don't have a medical degree. We're not doctors, yeah. but we know people who are. Let's get some some money in their hands and, and they can do the work with the money that, that we've raised. So it's been great. And we our last show, we, we donated to Newport Mental Health because mm-hmm. it was in Rhode Island. And they were big on the mental health thing, obviously, by mm-hmm. the name. And we believe in that as well. And to date, we've raised almost $6,000, which is awesome. So That's amazing. Yeah. Again, all from starting this on a porch in our first show, we didn't put any money to it. We mm-hmm. just wanted to perform and we found a way that we can make an impact. So it's been great. That's awesome. Yeah. So what is the, the show like? What's the structure of the show? So the structure of the show is either Connor or I host in a, a quick... It's different from hosting, right? Because we're the only two comedians. So there's not right. really much to host. It's just kind of like settling the audience in, yeah, as yeah. we talked about earlier. Settling them in giving our show pitch of like what it is who we've been donating to and right. and how they can help this going forward then we'll do a stand up act from either Connor or myself the other person will go do their stand up set about 15 to 20 minutes is our kind of sweet spot 
And then we have a question and answer session at the end, which gets to be really fun. Yeah. So the show the show runs about an hour and probably an hour and 15 if the Q&A goes long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but normally it's right around an hour. And the Q&A is really fun, dude. Like it was just something that we thought like, hey, <laughs> we want to we want people to we want that interaction with the crowd. We're, you know, we're doing our jokes right now. We, we don't want to miss that interaction. How can we incorporate that into the show? Right. We thought a question and answer session not only lets them ask us and, and get to know us more, but they have like, turns out a lot of people have a lot of questions about comedy when they see it. And we've got some pretty cool questions and some of these sessions have gone off the rails and it's been yeah. so fun to be honest. So do you have any questions yeah. that really stood out? Do you have any that you remember? We got a lot of questions about comedy. Like who's your favorite comedian? When did you start? But I think we've gotten some absurd questions like one person this this there was a girl there was like a seven-year-old girl and she was like what's your favorite color and why (laughs) (laughs) why are you a are you a psychiatrist like what is this and i start thinking i'm like i've never thought about why my favorite color is what it is what is your favorite color black okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) maybe because there's beauty in the darkness and i said that and i said that as my answer and i just kind of looked around and everyone was like yeah yeah there kind of is and i'm like this woman is gonna be it she's gonna stop the show she's going to be a an amazing doctor when she grows up her boyfriends are gonna not know what to do because they're never gonna be able to outwit her or she's gonna make him lose every argument you guys have a treasure and a daughter right there. Her name was Alana and she was so cute. And it was just like, that was one. And then I had an old guy ask like, uh, the old guy had a name. His name was John. Okay. I shouldn't call him an old guy. That's super rude. <laughs> old guy, John. Yeah. Old guy, John. Old guy, John asked me, I'm trying to remember the exact wording of it. He asked me along the lines of if like, what, like who my celebrity crush was. And I just was like, can I ask you a question? Like, where did that one come from? Like, <laughs> out of all, we have no jokes about celebrities in our sets. Like, we don't talk about them at all. And he's like, who, I, it wasn't like who your celebrity crush was, but it was like, oh, if you could date one celebrity, who would it be? That was pretty much what it was. And I was like, um, I think the real question is, would they date me? Uh, otherwise, I don't even want to begin crying in this fantasy land, but uh, I would probably go. And I couldn't give him an answer. I'm like, I don't know. Probably Jennifer Aniston. Maybe. Yeah. Solid pick. Yeah, solid pick. Can't go wrong. <laughs> Just, uh, we're not watching Friends. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no way. I had a dream like last week where I was watching Friends and I had laughed at every single joke and I wo- woke what up. What a nightmare. Yeah, I woke up. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I hate Friends. You're like screaming and sweating. You're like, yeah. <laughs> I, like Joey's not funny. <laughs> cold sweat about. <laughs> I uh, No, I grew up on Seinfeld. So like when I got introduced to Friends when I was in like middle school or high school and someone was like, oh, we love Friends. And I tried to watch and I was like, this is awful. Yeah, I don't know. People have their 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 version of friends. Like some people hate the office. Some people despise the office. I love the office. I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Big Bang Theory. That's Terrible. my vice. I love it. You I'm love sorry. it. I think it's so dumb that I laugh every time. I, and everyone's like, "Dude, it's not funny." And I'm like, "You know, part of me knows that you're right, and I think that's why I think it's funnier because <laughs> I'm laughing and I don't know why." It's oh just like Sheldon gosh. being like, oh, I'm Sheldon. And then I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't funny. Oh, my but God. It is. 
Uh, I yeah. hate Big 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 Bang Theory. Everyone does. As as I like, can't defend it. Like yeah, even not even from like a writing like comedy standpoint, but just as someone who grew up like very nerdy and geeky and kind of like into this nerdy world, just seeing this like this like these overblown characters that are just like I don't know. I think it's like it doesn't like it's so dumb to say this, but like I think like nerd representation is just like it's so off. It's just like. Hey, if you like math and stuff, you must be the most socially awkward. Like, I just, I hate, I hate Sheldon. I hate the archetypes. Like, you can be nerdy and, like, not the cringiest person in the, the universe. And I think it's a TV show. I don't care. There's not, I'm not even making a good point. I agree with you. And also, on the opposite side of the spectrum, cool guys are the exact same way. I've literally never met one person in a, in a leather jacket spinning a basketball on their finger being like, get out of the way, loser. Like, right. that doesn't happen. But, like, it's just <laughs> these archetypes that were built. But Big Bang Theory, structurally, this is real comedy nerd, is it's flawless. Written-wise, the way that it's structured, the beats, great writing. The jokes themselves could be better. The characters could be a lot better. But structurally... You're looking at me like I'm a museum artifact. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Structurally, it's a great show. Interesting. Interesting. Should we move on? Yeah. Yeah. We'll go back. <laughs> You're infuriated. You're like, please <laughs> shut up. Shut the fuck the up. The nerds are getting me so mad. No, Lee was telling me that in, in, she loves Big Bang Theory. And she was telling me that apparently it's huge in China. And like they, <laughs> they apparently just love how wholesome it is because they're like, oh, they like value like being intelligent, being smart, and they all hang out together and they live down the hall from the love interest. It's just so like nice. And she said that like, I I forgot what the like the characters are, but it's like, is it Penny and Sheldon that get together? I'm a, by the way, I'm in love with Penny. If I yeah. would have, I almost get, I'm almost like jealous that the guy ends up with Penny, and I'm like. Oh. <laughs> she said though that like when they got together and that episode aired it was like groundbreaking in china like everyone watched it together and it was like they a must huge have had thing. a party i'm like this is crazy and like the the way he folds his clothes like with the he uses some device to like fold his clothes rapidly they they call it they don't have they don't like call it like a like a laundry folder or anything what they call it is the thing that sheldon has they're like, oh, would you go get the thing that Sheldon has? That's like, that's how they reference it. Dude, that is insane. Yeah, it's, I couldn't believe it. She was telling me and I was like, this is the most like innocent, like wholesome thing I've ever heard. Like, You're like, oh, the thing that Sheldon has, a bad sense of humor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get the clothes like that by making shitty jokes. <laughs> I tell my whole set to my laundry basket and nothing happens. Weird, I just said one knock-knock joke and there's no wrinkles. <laughs> I wrote, I tweeted one today. This is so dumb. This is like, this is like a bad joke. But if if you write a horror movie, favorite and retweet right now. I don't care what it is. Do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you write a horror movie, is it a screenplay? It's October third. It's it's Halloween month. I I'm a I'm I'm permitted. <laughs> I'm smiling and I'm and I want to laugh and I'm mad that I want to. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love scary movies. Halloween's my favorite month. Nobody asked, but I don't care. Uh, it's it's the best holiday it's yeah. i'm scary movies iffy because i'm like i scare easily like I'm such i'm like i'm not like jump scares or whatever for me i like i kind of like i put my hands over my ears when i know one's coming and that like reduces the startle but w when movies are like really like disturbing <laughs> that's what scares me like i don't know i'm picturing you covering your ears during jump scare <laughs> 
Jump scares. Sorry, I can't talk. <laughs> you need to totally write a joke about that. That's so funny. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll make a note. Also, picturing you do it, doing it, is just so funny, dude. I'm I'm such a I'm such a wuss about like some horror movies and like the like when movies. What really gets me is like slow, like no jump shots that are just really disturbing. Oh yeah, like uh, the movie. What is it? The one uh, is it? It's sinister when they live in the house. Sinister is one of the scariest movies ever. Dude, when they uh, when it shows the the pool scene and all the bodies, the people getting dragged to the pool, and it pans over and the guy is just standing in the water. I was in college and I literally jumped off my couch. I was like, "What the fuck is that, dude?" It <laughs> is crazy, and I love I love scary movies. That's like kind of my fix of like adrenaline is like getting scared. Like some yeah. people actually do like handstands or like get drunk and call their ex. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no. Put on Insidious and let's get this party started. I love scary movies and I love Halloween and I have no idea why. What's, okay, what's your favorite horror movie? Favorite horror mo- movie is Hereditary. It came out two years ago. Really good. Dude, oh my God. That was one of those things where it's like, at certain points, at certain points in the movie, you're like, okay, I know this is a movie, but this is... It feels like it could actually happen to me in real life. And yeah. that scares me way more than like, mm-hmm. I forget that movie with the, th- these people outside, I think it's called Hostel. These people out, no, that's not it. These people are outside this motel and they have masks and they have bats and they like break into this motel and torture these people. And uh, it's like a, a horror and gruesome movie, which I'm not really big into the blood and like arms getting mm-hmm. cut off. That's just kind of corny to me. Like be more original scare movies. But like I think <laughs> I think I think when uh, that was real. I really feel that way. When people make movies that could translate to real life, that's what scares me the most. Cause then I'm like walking mm-hmm. around like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I'm gonna die. Yeah. Am I gonna die? Am I gonna die? <laughs> Is there somebody gonna come out of a well and grab me? That's the ring, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think hereditary, like I watched that by myself, like about a year after it came like out. You're a nut job by yourself. Yeah. And I did because I was like, I want to see it. And I got like the first like half of the movie Ooh. was so disturbing. And I remember thinking, I need to take an emotional break because this is so heavy. But then I realized like if I don't finish this movie, I will be thinking about this movie all the next day until I can finish this. So I was like, I'm just gonna power through and the, it was. I think the ending was like a little corny in some ways, but yeah. most horror movies do. But I think as like a as like a whole, it was so good. And the scene where she's like crawling on the walls and like oh moving fast—that was too much. And you know it's not real. And, and right. You know that would never happen. But I'm like, oh my god, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. I'm gonna hijack this podcast for a second and say spoiler alert. So don't listen if you haven't seen Hereditary. Okay. Actually, you should still listen. Maxim needs the view times. Um, <laughs> I don't need it that bad. Okay, twenty thousand no, people. Every are podcast to this. does. You're yeah. no different. Joe Rogan does too. That's why he signed a massive deal. Um, <laughs> when, when the girl's head gets hit out of the car. Yep. And for three minutes, they don't show it, and they're just building the suspense, and you see the mom like breaking down, and the kids in school like he can't focus. And then they finally just show you the flash of like the head on the ground. How scary was that? Oh, it was it was devastating. Dude, like, I felt a feeling in my heart and in my body that I can never replicate again. I was just like, oh my God, I think I'm dead. Yeah, I was crushed. I'm watching this. Oh my gosh. I was like, 
when it happened and just seeing him like try to be in school and like focus and just like letting the parents find out was just like holy shit that was insane and i had a buck like i'm not somebody that's easily scared because i watch these scary movies all the time and i kind of see them coming but that feeling that i had in that scene in particular i mean props to a20 or whatever a22 whoever made whatever directing company made that Mm -hmm. they killed me with that that was one of the most powerful scenes in a movie i've ever seen in my entire life and i was horrified from it yeah i was like i can't look away i'm so (laughs) sucked in oh my gosh did you did you you guys can listen again (laughs) did you uh what did you think of midsummer i liked it i thought it was a little over the top think so i think it was a little in a sense of like okay it could happen and i'm sure there's places where actually there definitely are places where things like that happen mm. no like i mean who knows we live in a big world but i just thought like i thought it was a really slow build up and then there was like a giant punch at the end and i mm. would have liked to have I would. I thought in Hereditary there was nice pacing to the movie of like, yeah. okay, you're gonna get constantly scared throughout this whole thing. Yeah, and it's gonna build. I think Midsummer, you're kind of just like, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. Until you realize like more than halfway through what's actually happening, and then when you fully and you know understand that, then you're like, oh my god. Yeah. Damn. I liked it. I liked it a lot. What do you I, think? Yeah. I liked that it was all daytime. Like I thought that was very yeah. Like, that's like the like only horror movie I've seen where it's like this is all daytime. And I, I think for me, yeah, it's a horror movie, but it felt more like a psychological thriller type. Like there wasn't anything like explicitly scary. It was just like this like constant like gradual shock of like yeah. what's happening. And when they spoiler when they jump off the cliff, <sighs> like that's a real thing they yep. would do back in like that's like history. Viking times. And yeah. that scene like. I I thought they were just gonna jump. I didn't think they were gonna show it when they hit the ground. They totally did, dude. And they have and they leave it there. They yeah. don't like pan away. It's there for like three seconds, and then you're like, okay, we get it. He's splattered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like fucking nuts, and I just like the the hard part about that movie was just like the like you know the main character. She's like coping with like the loss, and she doesn't know what to do, and she's just on this trip to like be there it's just like so hard on her and she just gets like swept up in this it's dude and they i mean in the beginning they make it about like the relationship the guy wants to break up with her and then full-fledged it's like oh my god this is not the trip that i would ever want with my girlfriend yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy have you seen blair witch project yeah okay so i i finally watched it i think I watched it over quarantine. I don't remember when I watched it. Probably in like April or something. And I guess that was a pretty scary movie. Like people, that was like mm-hmm. the first, that was like the first video made with a VHS, uh, not a VHS camera, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like a, cam a hand, ca- hand, handheld type. Yeah. yeah, camcorder. And I think the aspect of that is really scary and like that you're in the woods and you're in nighttime, but it kind of reminded me of like the Blair Witch Project in mm-hmm. the daytime. That's kind of like what Midsummer yeah. reminded me of. Yeah. Except a little bit more extreme. I, I thought the Blair Witch Project was like good. I was like, this is uh, there's a reason why this is like a horror like classic for like modern horror. Yeah. The thing that got me was the arguing. Like it wasn't the emotion. It's I am just, so with you on that. It's I understand it's realistic for the situation. These people are lost in the woods. They're like losing their minds. So of course, we yell at each other. But like 
I can't even watch F is for Family by Bill Burr because I don't like <laughs> arguing. Like, yeah, it's just too much, especially in Blair Witch. You're watching, you, you know, you don't find out what's going on until the end. Just like, yeah, you know, similar to, to Midsummer. But at a certain point, I, I'm with you on that. You're like, all right, can you guys like chill out for a second? Like, there's other aspects of this that could be really scary that don't yeah. involve you guys screaming at each other. Yeah. Like, you're still in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, the thing is, it's scary. The situation you're in is fucked up and like, what's going on? And I understand the panic. But also, it's you guys trying to solve how to get out. It's not you guys supposed to be like attacking each other. It's like, let's work together to get through this. And, Dude, I'm from, in New Hampshire. There's so much woods. So mm-hmm. anything with the woods is really uh, terrifies me, dude. Like there's just so many things that I've seen in the woods growing up. Animals like coyotes and mm-hmm. black bears, and I don't even know if I. I'm gonna say this. We're gonna make this fun. It's already been fun, but listen to this. <laughs> there was a murder that happened. I was at my friend's house the other day in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. There was a murder that happened three minutes from his house. Very gruesome. I don't want to like get into mm-hmm. the details of it right now, but we could talk about it after, unless you want me to. But no, we'll this do is it just after. yeah, we'll do it after. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in in this state park, this dude gets like full blown murdered, and my friend's house is two minutes away from the state park, and I'm driving there with like I'm just driving through with this kind of like feeling of this place doesn't seem right to me. And I've been to his house before, mm-hmm. but like something was in the air that day that I drove up a couple, you know, a couple of days ago where I'm like, I don't know if I feel right about coming up here. Mm-hmm. Then I get to his house and then he tells me somebody got murdered by the state park. Exactly where I felt that feeling right where I go by. And that's that stuff that some people don't believe in. Like they mm-hmm. don't believe in superstition or like spirits or anything like that. Dude, there are some crazy things that just can't be explained sometimes. And mm. I think the, fa- the fact that, that that was just way too coincidental for me to feel like that. And I never feel like that about anything. And then for him to tell me the details of it. Ugh. I love October. <laughs> <laughs> so ha- Halloween, we'll, we'll touch on this. Uh, I, we're, we're talking horror and Halloween now. <laughs> we can always, this is your thing. We can do whatever we want. So uh, do, uh, oh, do you have a favorite Halloween costume? That you've done? I was 11 from Stranger Things in 2017. What? I'll show you pictures after. Badass. Okay, and uh, for the listeners, Trevor is 6'2", very muscular, <laughs> not at all, 11. <laughs> a well, fully dude, give her a chance to man. grow up. Come on. She's like 15. That's hilarious. <laughs> I shaved my head and... Well, actually, my friend shaved my head. It's not like that matters. Mm-hmm. The point is that my head was shaved. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares about the details. And I had this bomber jacket, and then I bought a an eleven costume, and I wore a dress, and girls loved it. It was sweet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty cool. But uh, I kept it, so I can always do it again if I want to. But nice. I'm waiting for season four. So if uh, mm-hmm. the brother uh, Duffer Brothers are listening, hurry up. Let's go <laughs> and make her tall. <laughs> <laughs> make her tall and muscular, or use me as a stunt double. I can do it. <laughs> oh my god i think uh there i love halloween and i think i think i love when people love halloween it's It's so awesome i'm not like i don't like decorate the house or like do a bunch or like i'm not on instagram like it's spooktober or anything but like (laughs) i what i love is it feels like a holiday like it's a children's holiday in that like if you're part of a family and you have kids you get to go trick-or-treating it's cute and it's fun 
if you're like teenage young adult like single adults it's just like it's a holiday where you don't have to hang out with your family and you can just rage with your friends basically like and it gives you an excuse as a six foot two muscular man to take pumpkin spice shots so i love that i uh like i i love halloween and there was one year i was like i want to be scary so i uh i i got a pig mask at a like a a rubber pig mask (laughs) i spray painted it gloss red and then i put spikes around the crown of it and then i wore a black turtleneck black pants black shoes black like latex like murder gloves and then i i had a uh a faux sheepskin from Ikea that I cut into like a creepy like scarf type of thing. <laughs> Wrong choice. I learned if you're trying to have fun on Halloween, you can't be too scary because no one is going to like, no, like people are like, what are you? And I was like, it's, I'm just scary. I don't know. Like it's just spooky costumes, Halloween, but it, it was like lost. So I went as Jesus the next year and everyone wants to talk to Jesus. And the two Jesus Halloweens I had were so much fun. You did it twice. You did yeah, Jesus I kept twice. the costume, and then I you I, came back. You resurrected yourself for the next yeah. Halloween. And the, nice. Oh my god! The second time it was at uh, my brother's place, and uh, I was like there, and I ended up talking to this girl in the kitchen, or like drinking. I'm dressed as Jesus. She was like, and I forgot what she was, but we we're talking. It was going well, and the beer kind of fucked with my stomach, and I. Uh, it always does. <laughs> I farted. I thought it was going to be like a nothing fart. And it you was, murdered everybody. It was poison gas. <laughs> and it was just me and her in this kitchen. And my brother walks by and he goes, he goes, oh, what's up? It smells like fart in here. <laughs> it's like, oh, I totally blamed her. blew this. I, I should have. I was like, yeah, I fucked up. Your costume bad. stinks so bad. I smell it. Uh. It was, it was like not even like, oh, that's like a smelly fart. It was like bowel rancid. problems like rancid like <laughs> i i feel like i gotta talk about that on stage i'm working through my embarrassing past in my bits lately and i'm trying to get it all out of my system so speak it to the universe Quite literally I won't, I won't think about it again <laughs> dude that is insane if you were if you were in my, at my halloween party with that pig costume I'd be scared, but if you took off the pig costume and showed that it was your smiling face, I would be like, that's badass. <laughs> Leave it on. But yeah, I, I agree. And that's pretty cool that you that you repeated costumes. Oh, there there was one other thing with the pig mask costume. <coughs> Bless you. I had a buddy who's like, he's kind of like Wicca, you know, he's like Wiccan, whatever. But he would do a really fun Halloween party every year, but it was like same Han, which is like a pagan tradition. But there's a point where it's they, they do this thing called like the silent supper. So like everyone eats food and they stay quiet. And it's like an honoring the dead type of thing. And so they would do this. And one year I get there and I, I knock on the door and no one answers. So I go around the side gate to the backyard where I think they are by the fire pit. And I'm wearing the pig mask. I've got a black hoodie pulled all the way up. So it's just the pig mask and I'm all black, like murder gloves. And I've got a case of beer. And I just walk into the backyard and everyone is silently eating and they like look over at me just like, who the fuck is this? What the fuck is like? I could tell how like scared they were because I was like, oh, they don't even know that it's me. They don't know who it is. They just see this pig in the kitchen and, and like, oh, my God. And I, I, I come up and they're just like, what the fuck? like, it's just this look. I take the mask off. It's like, oh, what's up, guys? And I was like, oh, and later they were like, someone was like, 
That was the high point of the night because <laughs> I was so, so fucking relieved. scared. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you seen Eyes Wide Shut? Uh-uh. Okay. One of the best movies ever made by Stanley Kubrick. And it was he actually killed himself six days after he made it. Oh shit. And it's like a ridiculous movie. But they have there's like this part you'll and if you ever see it, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. There's Tom Cruise is in it and there's a part where he walks into this cult and they all have masks on and cloak black cloaks and mm-hmm. they're all wearing like um like some of the guys are wearing all black and then everybody else is just like naked with mm-hmm. masks on. But it kind of reminds me of like that, like it's so scary and eerie and creepy. And I'd be if I was at that party, I'd be like, "Who is that pig?" Yeah, get <laughs> him back to the barn. Absolutely. Have, have you seen Snowpiercer? No. Okay, definitely watch. Heard it. it's really good though. Absolutely worth watch. But okay. I'm adding yeah. it. Okay, I will circumnavigate that. Do you like The Shining? Is that a love The Shining? Did you see Doctor Sleep? Saw Doctor Sleep. I thought it was good. I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I was. I wish Doctor Sleep was like five hours long because i was having so much fun with that movie yeah well how do you say his name edwin mcgregor i'm not gonna pretend i know it's like it's like call me we'll call me yeah we'll we'll call call me um obi-wan kenobi yeah is awesome in that movie oh i thought he killed it yeah and i saw him i i actually forgot i was watching obi-wan kenobi like and i think (laughs) i think that was the best part of it is it's like oh this is a real character and there's no lightsabers, and mm-hmm. I'm scared. And, yeah. But I was also entertained. I'm like, oh, this is a good-ass movie, and I'm scared. Yeah, and w- what I loved about it wasn't, was, it wasn't like, oh, it's The Shining 2, same hotel, same. It was like, yeah, it was taking just The Shining aspect and expanding the universe of like, what they The Shining is They did their own thing. And it was, I was sweet. Like, this is so good. And the scene where the the villain, when she like meditates and like astral projects into to the little girl's house, and she flies over the earth. I was yeah. so scared because it was just silent and the way the world was turning under her and the way she glided. I was like, this is the creepiest shit ever. I love Stephen King. I haven't gone to that's a Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. If um, anybody doesn't know, but Stephen King lives in Maine. Mm-hmm. Or he has a house in Maine and he has a house in Florida, but not that I've been to both of them illegally, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've actually never been, but they have house tours at the one in Maine and I want to yeah. go. It's like three and a half hours from my house, but really, I was just going to ask my ADHD is haywire right now. Um, okay. I was going to ask you if, I mean, you seem pretty well versed in horror. You said that you were kind of like wimpy with the movies, but you seem like you've watched a good amount. I've watched a lot, but I'm yeah. very wimpy about them. <laughs> Dude, I love talk shopping horror. That's awesome. But I'm not like I wouldn't call myself like a horror like fan. Because yeah, you're not a full blown psycho like me. There are people who are like psychos, and I'm not. Yeah, so. I'm one of those people. Um, that's how I sleep well at night. I just put on a horror movie, get scared, fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, I'm a lunatic. But in Stephen King's house, um, they they've actually made it like a not a resort. This is before coronavirus. I don't know what's going to happen afterwards. But they made it a sort of landing spot for five or six writers that want to write horror and mm-hmm. they kind of go under his wing mm-hmm. and learn from Stephen King and they live there for like six months. Isn't that so cool? Whoa. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Damn. And I'm- they just do regular house tours for people that aren't good as writing. <laughs> those people. Yeah. <laughs> Which I hope to see someday. That'd be dope. Yeah. I mean, what an experience that would be to be like working with Stephen King for like six months. That'd be like, 
That'd be like Dave Chappelle or something. They're like, you're going to live with him for six months and he's going to teach you everything he knows. Oh my, my, friends, uh, my friend's his neighbor in Florida and she says that he's super nice. He's a really nice guy, which probably because he's a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you've read any of the books or seen any of the movies that have been made about his stories, they're like really... I mean, It, the movie It, yeah. the clown coming out of the drain, mm-hmm. that is something that he saw in his town and was like, it would be really scary if something was down there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, That's what he, that was would. on his mind. Yeah. He's a beast. I'm jealous. <laughs> I wish he was my dad. <laughs> I mean, my dad's pretty cool now, but if my dad was Stephen King, like, that'd be dope. I'd be a little intense. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Except you, bad bedtime story. I'd be like, Dad, could you read me a bedtime story? He's like, sure, but it's a thousand pages and it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> All his books are like 9,000 pages. They're huge. I haven't yeah. read any Stephen King because I don't, I don't read that often. And when I usually read, it's a book that I'm like, I know I'm going to like this and I can just like crush it quickly. But Stephen King, I'm like, I know these are slow and people love him, but I'm like, I'm not patient enough with reading to get through that much if I'm not gripped by it. Dude, it's a time investment. Like, yeah. I got halfway through it, the actual book, and that's 600 pages halfway through. Yeah. And I had read that book for like three and a half months. <laughs> don't do the math people i'm a oh slow gosh. reader but like yeah See, meanwhile like with game of thrones like i read all five books in four months probably i crushed those because it would the his writing style and the pace is so fast that i was like i am just gonna read these like a machine don't castrate me i've never read or seen game of thrones okay that's fine i think like get out of my apartment with the way honestly (laughs) with with the way the show ended i don't i'm like if someone's like i haven't seen game of thrones i'm like man don't watch it like if if you want the good stuff just read the books hopefully it ends better than the show did but it's worth a read it's really hard to follow up a a book ending why does the book end so well every time and the movie doesn't or the show doesn't (sighs) they fucked up they really but how do you do it every time can we get one where it's like it finally ends well yeah Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Yeah. <laughs> I stand fully corrected. So uh, we're, we're down to our last uh, little bit here. So I want to take okay. it back for a minute. I want to ask you one final question about comedy. Yeah. So in your, in your comedy career, has there been like a consistent message that you bring or some theme or some, something you're always, that's always present in your mind when you're doing comedy? Yes. I can definitively say this and I have a joke about it. Which you haven't heard yet. I was going to do last night, and uh, I didn't. You forgot it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I just didn't do it because I wanted you guys to like me. Um, it's about, I think, in this world that we live in, it's about finding the positivity in all of these bad things that happen. Mm-hmm. And they're going to happen. Like, some worse than others. There, we live in a world where great things happen and we live in a world where a lot of bad things happen and Mm -hmm. i think to ignore the the bad things that happen and get sad about them or get like uh get angry or or have these negative emotions to these things that can really they can traumatize you that's Mm -hmm. how i'll say it they can traumatize you it's right it's right to have those emotions and everybody has their feelings towards these things that happen but they don't go away so my I think my message is like, I want to bring light to the dark side mm-hmm. of things and find a release point for those people that are de- dealing with really heavy 
heavy subjects. Mm-hmm. Like, and we don't need to get into those subjects right now, but I think what my com my comedy is not for everybody. And mm-hmm. if you've not, if you've not experienced anything truly bad, you're going to have a hard time relating to my comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think my only message is like, we get so worked up nowadays about words and, and feelings. And, and, and I think people miss the fact that I, I truly believe that we live in a, in a place where the majority of people that say these things that could be offensive or can be a, a little touchy or, or over the line. I believe they do come from a good place mm-hmm. and they're trying to make light out of it in the same way that I try to with my jokes. So I think if there's one takeaway message with my, with my comedy, it's that these bad things happen. Why not try to find a way to laugh at them? Mm-hmm. It's all you can do. Otherwise you're just going to be in a world of turmoil and you might still be, but, but maybe that, that release point of laughter makes you just feel a little bit better during those times. I got heavy. No, that's a good. That's good. I think that's <laughs> yeah. great. I think that's a good thing to aspire to in comedy is just like be someone that can break the tension and make you feel like less alone and feel like your feelings are like affirmed, but yeah. also like you can laugh at them as well. Exactly. And I think what I'm trying to work out in my personality going forward is that I think our world is absurd. I think the mm-hmm. things that happen in it like are not real. Like how is this happening? Yeah. Like so. I want to show a dramatic side of that as well and not be so dark all the time, but, you know, touch some dark stuff. And then even in like the really happy things that, that go on, there's always things that, ha- that are really good. Like birthdays. We all blow out candles. Dude, we are one toddler from getting too close and burning his face off from birthday parties being done. Like, that's, <laughs> like I, I only say that cause, uh, I, I know a relative of mine who had Alzheimer's and blew out a candle. Mm-hmm but touched his lips to the candle because he forgot. And like, yeah, some people would be like, you can't laugh at a dude with Alzheimer's. That's going to light his face on fire. And I'm going to go, no, I totally can. And it was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) And that shouldn't happen, but it did. And it's kind of funny. Just wait till that's the audio clip for the show. (laughs) That's going to be all over Instagram. (laughs) You can't laugh at a dude with Alzheimer's burning his lips on a candle. I totally can. <laughs> no, and actually, I want to go on record and say this. I totally think you can. If you if you think that my grandfather burning his mouth on fire is funny and nobody in your family has Alzheimer's, you have every right to laugh at it, and you totally should. I, <laughs> I don't think it's – I think, I think humor is, like, so subjective that people are like, you can't say this because you're not that, or you can't say this because it doesn't happen to you. It's like, oh, well – it doesn't mean it's not funny. Like, <laughs> we don't need credibility. If it's funny, start laughing at it. So yeah, my grandpa had an amazing 81st birthday and it was, uh, it was lit AF with candles. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. That's, that's a great message though. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. What about you? Fucking, I'm just trying to be myself and have people love me. <laughs> I love that. I don't know if you're being honest, but that's its own message in itself. Be yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's... Stop trying to be someone you're not. I think that's... With the episodes I've done so far, it's like that seems to be the consistent I love one. It's just everyone, and no matter what creative thing they're doing, is just be yourself. Find your own way through it. And uh, I throw on the, I need attention. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Yeah. All right. We well, all I want to try one more thing. Um, I have some fortune cookies. Maxim, you're going to love this because I'm not going to tell this on air. I have a merch idea, Mm -hmm. and this just reminded me of it. Okay. We'll talk about it after. All right. So we probably shouldn't eat them because no one wants to hear us chew. 
but pull your fortune. Stop being out. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Very delicate handling of the cookie. It's important. This is an, this is an art form. You you know how fortune cookies are made? They're folded with care. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Good things are being said about you. Oh, I guess yeah. people will like people this episode. People love this then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're already rated at five stars and it didn't come out yet. Ooh, I hope so. <laughs> Please leave a rating on the show. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, I got... Um, What's yours? Happiness is enjoying what you got, never from what you want. Yep, That's, it totally is. Yep, totally is. And you got me, buddy. I got you on Q the Q Toy Story 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a friend in me. <laughs> Awesome. Well, for the end, if uh, say peop- back, I love you too. I love you too. You got a friend in me. Right, I love you. <laughs> so, for people who enjoyed this episode, uh, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at t glass underscore three, mm-hmm. or just type in Trevor Glassman. I'll come up. Uh, I guess you can follow me on Twitter. I'm about to delete it, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, and Facebook. Uh, Trevor Glassman, you can add me and I will probably message you back if you're not my annoying relative. Also, my website. This is new. New. I have a nice. website. TrevorGComedy.com. Nice. But I encourage Instagram over anything else because it helps me get more shows. So yeah. just do that. <laughs> yeah. Is there some place T-Glass people... underscore three. Is there some place people can find uh, curbside events? On my website and on my Instagram. So probably the Instagram is going to be the easiest one to remember. Mm-hmm. It's tglass underscore three. And I'll leave it at that. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Dude, this was really fun. This has been a great episode. This is awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank yeah, you for so coming on. Thank um, you for me. Listeners, uh, check him out. Go follow him everywhere. Um, subscribe to the show. Rate, review, all that stuff. Um you know who I am. Uh, this is Maxim Allen tuning out. Don't quit your day job. Uh, thank you so much for being on, Trevor. Thank you so this much. So awesome. Much fun. All right. And I will catch you all next week. Bye.